Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, on the, um, the Sunday after Easter, that's what today is, the first Sunday after Easter, uh, we read from the first sermon ever preached on the resurrection of Jesus. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, the apostle Peter says, You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, This man handed over to you, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. So who killed Jesus? Sinful humanity killed Jesus. But God raised him up, having freed him from death. So when we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, who did the killing? Sinful humanity. Humanity. Who did the raising? God did. Don't get, the, don't get that mixed up, all right? God didn't kill Jesus. Sinners killed Jesus, but God raised him up. Uh, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Death could swallow divinity, but death could not digest divinity. Death could swallow divinity, but death couldn't keep divinity under its power. For David says concerning him, and now Peter is going to quote from Psalm 16 that we just a moment ago heard Eric Stark read for us. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption." You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. All right, that's Peter's text for the first sermon on the resurrection. Now, here comes the beginning of his sermon. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently that our ancestor David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. I was just... In Jerusalem last month, and I can tell you that the upper room, and this is where Peter is preaching from, or outside the upper room, to this multitude of people that have gathered, and right there, I mean, it's just, it's right next door is the tomb of David. It's there, it's right there. So he could just gesture and say, see, it's right there. Um, Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." A thousand years before Christ, David, 
the poet king of Israel, wrote a psalm about death. And in that psalm, he says this, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. Today I want to preach a sermon entitled, Not Abandoned to Hades. Not Abandoned to Hades. In his psalm referencing death, the poet king says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's that's the NRSV translation of Psalm 16, verse 10. King James Version says it this way, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. NIV says, You will not abandon me to the dead. BCP says, You will not abandon me to the grave. The Septuagint, which was the the Bible that Peter was using, this was the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek that was used by everybody in the first century, it says, You will not abandon my soul to Hades. So, Hell, Hades, Sheol, grave, realm of the dead are all more or less the same thing. You say Sheol if you're speaking Hebrew. You say Hades if you're speaking Greek. You say, you say hell if you're speaking Norse. You say maybe the dead, the realm of the dead if you're speaking English. Well, in his psalm, King David speaks of a soul not being abandoned to Hades, and a body not left to decay. A thousand years later, the apostle Peter explains that, well, certainly David's body saw decay. His tomb's right here. You know, we could crack it open if you like, and I think you'll find nothing but bones. Uh, Peter says, uh, apparently, uh, David wasn't talking about himself, but he was a prophet And he was prophesying that something later would happen. So David's soul must have been in Sheol for a long time. That is in the realm of the dead. But Peter goes on to explain that because David was a prophet, he was speaking of the son of David. That is the Messiah. That is Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And that right there is the first Christian sermon. I don't know how many billions and billions of sermons have been preached from that moment till now, but that was the first one. The first Christian sermon was preached by the Apostle Peter. His text was Psalm chapter 16, and his theme was not abandoned to Hades. Now, when Jesus died, his soul descended to hell, Hades, Sheol, the dead, whatever phrase you want to use. In the Apostles' Creed, we say, he descended to the dead. Some, some versions say he descended to hell. I know that throws people off, but I'm trying to help you just think better about these things. But because, um, but, but Jesus did not enter into hell or Hades as a captive. Jesus invaded Hades as a conqueror. Now, because Jesus was human, that is mortal, that is subject to death, Jesus could die and enter into death into Hades, the realm of the dead. But because Jesus is also fully divine, what's death going to do? Death can swallow divinity, but it will result in the destruction of death. The living one, the, the eternal logos, 
that which is life itself enters into death and it isn't the living one that's going to be dead, it's death that's going to die. That's why we sing, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. By his death, Jesus entered into death so that death might be destroyed. Now, in another psalm, uh, another psalm of David, the poet king says this. This is Psalm 68. You have ascended on high, leading captives in your train. You have ascended on high, leading captives. So there's, there's captives and they're being brought along in a parade, in a train behind this one that ascends on high. That's, that's a line from a song that is Psalm 68 by King David. Well, the apostle Paul, a thousand years later, connects this with Jesus' descent into death when he says in Ephesians 4, 8, when Christ ascended on high, he made captivity its captive. He made captivity. What, what captivity is he talking about? Well, he descends into the realm of the dead, into Hades, into hell, into Sheol. Jesus descends in there, and that is, that is the place of what? That is the place where every soul, every mortal soul of humankind from the moment of their death is held captive. We don't want to be dead. We want to be alive. We don't want to be in Sheol. We want to be in the land of the living. And, but people are kept there. They're captive. They're captives. But when Jesus descended into Hades, uh, he made captivity captive. How do I say this? He, there's, all, there's all of the souls of humanity and Jesus captures them. They're, they're already captured by death, but Jesus says, now they're mine. Jesus captures captivity. Or we could say it this way. Those who have been the captives of Hades are now the captives of Christ. That's why Jesus says in Revelation, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I always like it that, that Jesus amens himself. That's what i got to do right now. <laughs> Same thing. Nobody here to amen me, so I'll be like Jesus. Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Who has the keys of death? Not death, Jesus. Who has the keys of Hades? Not Hades, Jesus. Who has the keys of hell? Not hell, Jesus. Jesus says, Jesus descends not as a, not as a conquered victim into death, but as an invading conqueror. And he comes into the realm of the dead and says, all right, this is all mine now. I take it captive. I take it. It's now mine. Whew. This is, are you getting this? That the realm of the dead is now the possession of Christ because now Christ fills all things everywhere with himself. So, um, second Sunday of Eastertide, I, I, brought my, I brought my resurrection icon back with me. We've got uh, one to put up on the screen for you to see it closely. This is an Anastasis icon. This is a resurrection icon. You see that Christ has, has come into the realm of the dead. And there's the black abyss below him, and the gates of hell have been broken down, trampled underfoot. They've fallen in the form of a cross, thus indicating that it is by his own death that Jesus brings about the death of death. And all these people are being lived. These are the captives that Jesus is now going to liberate and lead them in his train, lead them out. Going to empty Hades and lead them out. And in these resurrection, these Anastasis icons, you always see 
uh, King David. He's the old king there. You see him. He's always there because he's the one that prophesied that you will not abandon my soul to Hades. And then there's always a younger king. You see the younger king there? That's Solomon. That's the son of David. Uh, but then that's really just pointing us to the one that, who is the true son of David, and that is Jesus Christ, who is, in all of these icons, you, you see him, he's taking Adam and Eve by the wrist and pulling them up out of their tombs. He's taking, that, that represents humanity. That is, a, that is an iconic, uh, iconic representation of Jesus leading captivity captive. The captives of death now become the captives of Christ. And that's like just the most beautiful thing in the world as far as I'm concerned. So that for a human being to die is to encounter Christ as judge and savior. When people die, they are not the captives of death any longer. They are the captives of Christ. That's good stuff. Now that's how I would preach this text theologically. If you're going to preach as a theologian, not all theologians are preachers, but... But if you're going to preach as a theologian, that's how I'd preach that text, and I, and I just did. But I'm a pastor, so I want to preach it pastorally. I want to preach this text pastorally. So let's, let's, let me back up and take another run at it. I, I like I the theological version, by the way. I love that. It is the gospel. But now I want to also preach it a little bit pastorally. In the time of coronavirus, Jesus will not abandon your soul to Hades. That's what I want to say. Maybe you feel like your soul has sunk down into the depths of despair. You've gone down into the pit. You're in the pits. You're in the pit. Maybe you feel like your soul has just sunk. The bottom's fallen out. Maybe this deep disruption and forced isolation has cast your soul into Hades. Maybe. Maybe a pandemic-induced anxiety has made your soul a captive to hell. Well, hold on. Jesus will not abandon your soul there. Jesus will come to you and rescue you. Now, the gospel, I'm preaching the gospel today. The gospel is the story of Jesus. In its most succinct form, it's, it's death, burial, and resurrection. That encapsulates the gospel message. In its fuller form, it's the, it's the whole story of Jesus. From his conception in the, of the, through the Virgin Mary all the way through to his ascension. Uh, and then there's the grand macro story telling that is Genesis to Revelation. The, the big story of creation, alienation, devastation, salvation restoration, new creation of all things. That's the biggest telling of the story. But uh, on the theological level, on the theological level, uh, the gospel means that Christ has now filled death with himself so that death has died and Christ now fills all things everywhere with himself. And that's, that's the most important aspect of the gospel. Death is defeated. And to die is to become the captive of Christ. And we encounter Christ as judge and savior. But there's also a, there's also a personal existential pattern found in the gospel. When we unite our lives with Christ through faith and baptism, his story becomes our story. When we unite our lives with Christ 
through faith, believing in Jesus, and baptism, the formal incorporation into his body, uh, his story becomes our story, and we too experience death, burial, and resurrection. That's seen in baptism. We recognize that we're dead in our sins. Hey, I'm dead. I'm not even, I'm not even like I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm dead in my sins. And so we come to Jesus, and that old life is buried, 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 buried down into baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but raised to newness of life, raised to a new life, a life that is in Christ. So that death, burial, and resurrection become the salvific pattern in our own lives. In other words, we become gospel. Our lives become gospel. We experience the pain of loss. This is what, this is what death is about. It's, it's the pangs of loss. We feel that right now because things are being, we're losing things right now. Hopefully they'll come back. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact, but maybe everything that dies someday comes back. But right now we experience the pain of loss. All right, So the loss of, of just normality. The loss of a relationship, maybe you've experienced that. A loss of a job, a loss of a situation. Some people go through a period of deconstruction where they lose certain beliefs. So, so there's, we experience death. That is, we experience the pangs and the pains of loss. And then we feel like we're thrown into the finality of burial. That it's all over now, baby blue. It's all over. It's, it's, it's done with. And there's this sense of abandonment. It's, that's our our own cry of dereliction moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pain of loss and then the kind of the finality of burial. It's all over. No hope. But then, then the third day comes. Whenever it comes, then the third day comes and we experience resurrection. And we're lifted up by the power of Jesus. Our soul is lifted up out of Hades, out of Sheol, out of hell, out of death. We live that. There'll be the day when it's, when it's fully made manifest in, in the resurrection, restoration of all things. But we live that in a micro way repeatedly many times during our lives. So, is your soul in Sheol? Well, fear not. You will not be abandoned. Jesus will raise your soul up from Sheol. But remember, remember... That when you get raised from the dead, you're changed. When you get raised from the dead, you've gone through a process of transformation that may make you somewhat difficult to recognize as compared to your former self. Remember, when Jesus is raised, sometimes people didn't immediately recognize him. And when your soul is raised from Sheol, some people may say, what happened to you? You're different now. Well, when people go to hell and back, stick with me now, when people go to hell and back, they come back different. They come back different. In Christ, we come back better. We come back stronger. We come back wiser. We come back more compassionate because we've been through some stuff. And maybe most significantly, we come back less afraid. Because we are being saved from the fear of death. Not by avoiding it, but by going through it. And we discover, you know what? I can suffer loss and be okay. I can suffer loss and be raised to newness of life. 
I thought, I thought that death would kill me. <laughs> but I found out it doesn't. I just go through it, and then Jesus raises me up, and I come back, and I'm better. And I'm stronger, and I'm wiser, and I'm more compassionate, and I'm definitely less afraid of death, and the fear of death is the mother of all fears. Because we find that we can go through it, we can bear it, we can endure it, we can come out on the other side, that death is not the end. And you see, it's the fear of death in all of its many forms that really distorts our soul in a negative way. Death is not part of God's intention for His good creation. It's a disaster that has befallen us and which we will ultimately be saved from. But this is the existential dread that lurks in the soul of every human. The fear of death, which is the fear of loss in all its forms. But once we begin to be liberated from that, and that's what the gospel message of Jesus Christ does, is it liberates us from the fear of death. Once we begin to be liberated from that, we can begin to become beautiful souls. Because it's the fear of death that, that makes us lust and greedy and grasping. And, and out, of, out of that kind of fear comes all kinds of bad things that distort our soul in an ugly way. Once we really begin to be liberated from the fear of death, we find ourselves now on a path where we can really truly become a beautiful soul. We would like to think that we become a beautiful soul by just going from one triumph to another. Just one win after another. Just by batting a thousand for a season. That's not how it happens. More often we become beautiful souls through death, burial, and resurrection. God gives us, let's say it this way, God gives us beauty for ashes. God brings, what are ashes? Ashes are, are the, the emblem of ultimate loss. It's burned to ashes. Here's my dreams. Here's what I clung to. Here's what I wanted. Here's what I held on to. And poof, it burned to the ground. And there's nothing but ashes. Ashes are the lifeless emblem of profound loss. And yet, God will give us beauty for ashes. Or in other words, God is an artist whose medium is ashes. God takes ashes that we think are hopeless and makes something beautiful out of them. After Jerusalem and the temple were burned to the ground, reduced to ashes by the Babylonians in the 6th century B.C., and the people carried off into exile, uh, a new Isaiah arose in exile with a new message for those that had suffered such severe loss. And the first word of the new Isaiah to the exiles was, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. See, the prophets are the voice of God for comfort and affliction, for comfort and disruption, for comfort and for troubling. When the people of God are too comfortable, they're at ease in Zion, then an Amos comes along and says, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to, you, you fat cows of Samaria, and lays into them. The prophets, they afflict the people of God when they're comfortable, but when the people of God are afflicted, that's when the prophets come with their words of comfort. And that's what we see from 
Isaiah, the new Isaiah that arises in exile, he brings a word of comfort. Later, Isaiah of the exile says, this is what the Spirit of the Lord will do. Comfort all those who mourn. Console those who mourn in Zion. Give them beauty for ashes. The prophet says, I know, I know, your dreams are ashes. I know, Jerusalem is ashes. I know, the temple is ashes. I know, that which you had held, held on to so dear, it's ashes. But guess what? The Spirit of the Lord is going to comfort you as you mourn and console you as you grieve. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to give you beauty for all your ashes. So, bring the ashes of your sorrow and loss to Jesus. And let Him make something beautiful out of it. Beauty for ashes is a promise you can hold on to. Or maybe, maybe in this moment, you feel like even that's too much for you. Maybe you don't even have enough spiritual energy to gather up your ashes of loss and bring them to Jesus. All right. If that's the case, then, it's all right for you just to sit in the ashes. Like Job. Just sit in the ashes. Just sit in this moment of lament in Sheol. But hold on to this one thread of hope. Jesus will not abandon your soul to Hades. Jesus will come to you and lift your soul out of Sheol. Amen. Hold on to that. You're not abandoned. You're not forsaken. You're not forgotten. If all you can do is sit and lament, then let this one flicker, like this little candle here, let that one flicker of a hope stay lit that you will not be abandoned in that state. Jesus will come to you. You'll not be abandoned to Hades You'll not be left in Sheol. Jesus will come and lift your, your soul out of Sheol.